Football season will be here quicker than you think. When planning your football trips, we know that one of the biggest pains is arranging your pregame tailgate party. This season, let gridirontailgates.com take care of all of your tailgating needs. They provide everything for your large private party, including a private party tent, tables, satellite TV, catering, a personal bartender, and set up and takedown. Visit gridirontailgates.com and enter promo code PAC12, P-A-C-1-2, to receive 10% off your group's next tailgate or call 303-359-5328. Gridirontailgates.com are here to make your tailgate experience easy, affordable, and enjoyable. Again, that phone number is 303-359-5328. Gridirontailgates.com. Enter code PAC12. Now available in more homes than the PAC12 network, we are the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack. And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC. We are the podcast of champions. Welcome to the Podcast of Champions. I'm your co-host, Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And there is no other co-host today, David Woods, on secret assignment. Uh, little, We had some stuff going on this week, so I apologize. It, won't be a, it will be a David-free podcast. So if you're a huge fan of David, I apologize. If you don't like David, this is your show. But we're going to preview the Washington schools, uh, Washington and Washington State, uh, so it's going to be a really interesting show. These are our last previews heading into the 2018 season. If you want to email us for any kind of questions you got, we got a bunch of questions for the publishers here, pac12podcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at pac12podcast. Our website, as always, is pac12podcast.com, where all our old episodes, and you can leave us a voicemail or send us a text at 424-532-0678. All right, so first up, Washington Huskies. <laughs> We want to talk Washington. So we're bringing in Chris Fetters from dogman.com. He's all over the Washington Huskies. They are the favorite to win the the Pac-12 this year, potentially make the playoffs. We want to get an in-depth preview with Chris. Chris, thanks so much for coming on and uh, and sharing some insights. Absolutely, Ryan. You bet. All right, you can follow him on Twitter at Chris underscore Fetters. And, of course, the website is dogman.com. And uh, Chris... Just so we'll give a little how the sausage is made. Chris has already done this before. He did this with Dave earlier. There was a, some technical issues. So now you get to do it with me. So it's got, you're, you're our only publisher we're going to talk to twice about the season. So that's that's cool for you, I guess. At, le- at least I know now why it's a Dave-free podcast. I think he's been dealt with accordingly. <laughs> we just sent him off. I don't even – I, I apologize. I don't even know if I told you. We both had a whole bunch of crap going on this week, but we wanted to get a show out. And so he was going to interview you, and I was going to interview Barry Bolton, which I'm, we're, we'll have a little bit later on the show. But then he got busy late in the week, so uh, not that I wasn't busy, but we're going to make it all work. So I do apologize for that. Um, but we want to talk about the Huskies, and we sent you some kind of predetermined topics that uh, you know, we, we came up with, and we've asked all the publishers from the different 24-7 sports sites across the Pac-12 these same questions. So we'll go with you. Um, what were the, the first off the coaching changes? Any kind of significant coaching changes for the Washington Huskies? Yeah, I think there was three. I mean, the, the first one was kind of the one that everyone went through when the NCAA added the tenth coach, and so um, 
I think a lot of people would have thought because Chris Peterson such an offensive minded coach that he may have gone offense. But uh, they added a defensive backs coach in Will Harris from San Jose State, uh, known as a really, really good recruiter. You would, would know, Ryan, because of his time at USC yeah. about Will Harris. So um, that was probably the, the first big change in terms of that. But again, that was something that everyone went through. Uh, obviously, the two Really big changes, though, was that Washington uh, underwent uh, coordinator changes on both sides of the ball, um, which I think is something that maybe has gone pretty unreported nationally, because I think when you look at a team that is maybe a top five, top six team by most measures in terms of what people are predicting in the preseason, um, you usually don't see that much turnover in terms of coordinators. But uh, Jonathan Smith obviously left to go be the head coach at Oregon State. Great move for him. Um, and so Washington kind of went back to the well a little bit. They got Bush Hamden, who had spent the year as the quarterback's coach with the Atlanta Falcons under offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian. Ah. Of all people. So it's weird <laughs> how this wet, the tangled web that we weave up here in Seattle, it uh, <laughs> stretches all the way down to Atlanta. And so uh, they get him back, who he was the wide receivers coach for 2016 when they made it down to Atlanta for the Peach Bowl and lost to uh, Auburn or uh, Alabama, excuse me. So they made that change, and and that was pretty much considered universally a, a really strong move for Chris Peterson offensively because Bush Hamden uh, played for him at Boise State, was a quarterback, so he's the quarterback's coach as well as the offensive coordinator here, and he's just he's universally liked. The, the receivers got remarkably better in 2016 under his watch, but again, it helps when you have a John Ross and a Dante Pettis, so it, it helps when you're cooking with the right ingredients. And then, um, and then he's just a real personable guy. I mean, he's one of the youngest coordinators in, in the Power Five. I think he's 32, 33 years old. So he, he brings a, a, a lot of youth and a lot of enthusiasm and energy into it. And, and, uh, and again, he's a Chris Peterson guy through and through. I mean, it's, uh, he's kind of been coaching at, at, at Peterson's knee for years now. And, and he has some, uh, some, uh, position experience, whether it wasn't just at Washington in 2016, but he was a, a position coach uh, even in Florida and uh, was, a, was a coordinator at the lower level at schools like Davidson. So he has some previous experience. And then, of course, he, he had the experience in Atlanta last year when he was coaching. Um, what was it? Who is it? Uh, Matt, what's his face? <laughs> oh, uh, in Atlanta. Yeah. So, why am I blanking? Oh, um, yeah. Why, I'm blanking I can't. Too. Why am I blanking on his name? This is really. Ah! <laughs> Played at Boston College. What am I? He did. He played at Boston College. His name is Matt. <laughs> I guess. I so, anyways, I, I'm getting I'm getting sidetracked. But anyway, so he brings a lot of experience there. And then defensively, the biggest news was the switch in defensive coordinator roles between Pete Kwiatkowski and Jimmy Lake. You know, Jimmy Lake, his star has really been on the rise because of his work with the defensive backs and turning them into one of the real elite units in college uh, college football. And so, um, it's just one of those things where. You know, there, he had a lot of opportunities to maybe move on elsewhere. And so what Pete Kwiatkowski did is that he kind of stepped back a little bit, is going to focus a little bit more on recruiting and his position, which is the outside linebackers. He's given Jimmy Lake kind of the headaches of calling the game and, and game planning. And then there'll still be a ton of input with all of the defensive coaches. But kind of that last little piece on Jimmy Lake's resume was being a coordinator at that Power 5 level. And, and, and once he has that, 
uh, for a year or two, then he'll be as as coveted uh, a coordinator as there is in the business. So um, it was a smart move, I think, by Washington to try to make that happen. It was a real selfless move by Pete Kwiatkowski to kind of take a little bit of the limelight off of him and put it on Jimmy Lake. And and this is a great step for Lake because this is his time. He's been groomed for this moment, and, and I don't think the stage is going to be too big for him. I think he's going to be totally ready for it. So um, a great move all around there. And so th- that's kind of the, the main coaching changes at Washington. Um, this is how long it's been. You know it's football season, Chris, when you got to do like a crap load. You do a lot of radio. I don't know how – I have countless radio interviews today. It's been insane. Did two. This is my second podcast that I'm doing. I did a live show on Facebook. It's Matt Ryan. Like it's my freaking name and I didn't remember Matt it's Matt Ryan. So that's, <laughs> that's where I am at this point. I think we just need the season to get here. Uh, no more. <laughs> <laughs> no more fall camp. Uh, so my hey, apologies. I'm the, first one. I'm the one that I'm the one that didn't get it. I'm the one that messed it up the first time. <laughs> I should have just remembered this though. Um, the next, so next up, uh, we're going to talk about returning starters. I believe five Huskies were drafted. So certainly, you know, some some guys have departed going to the NFL, but uh, significant, you know, guys coming back too as far as returning returning starters go. Well, you got uh, obviously it starts with Jake Browning, uh, good old as as you guys would say, good old noodle arm Jake <laughs> Browning. Uh, I, I'm a fan of the pod. I, I watch, I listen, I do all those good things, and uh, so it starts with him. You know, going to be a four year starter. Not too many of those running around college football at quarterback, and then every record, got, every record in the book, right? He'll have them all. Pretty, pretty much, yeah, he'll have them all. I mean, that you know. Longest noodle arm. I don't know what whatever, whatever, whatever they whatever there needs to be in terms of Washington. He's going to have it, and uh, I know you know it's going to. I'm probably going to hate your listeners for trying to defend a guy like Jake Browning, but you know when you go ten plus wins the last two years, he's doing something right. Yeah. So it's just uh, it's just one of those things where um, you know it's, it starts with a guy who's just extremely accurate and he makes good decisions for the most part. Yeah, he's he doesn't have the biggest arm. He's not the he doesn't have escapability. He's not going to wow you physically, but he just gets the job done. And and uh, you know, but he's not going to be a guy that's just going to go out and be able to win you games coming from behind. It's just not his style. It's just not who who he's who he is. I mean, he's a guy that is going to grind you into the ground. He's going to you know they're going to drive a field goal, drive for a touchdown, drive for a field. He's just not going to make a mistake. And he's not going to allow the other team to just win the game based on his mistakes. And and so, um, you know, it wasn't – I don't know if people know this or not, but until that Utah game in Seattle last year, he hadn't actually had a come, come from behind win. I mean, it's just not his M.O. It just isn't. And so once people get past that fact, like he's, he's not John Elway. You know, he just isn't. I mean, that's just – it's just – you know, he's not. Yeah. But I didn't, he is, I didn't know that he had had a come good. from behind win. I didn't know that yeah. stat. Yeah. Yeah. But he's, he, but he is just, he's a very, very, very good, competent college quarterback who his forte is getting his offense in a position to be successful. He'll get, he'll get them out of a situation and, and, and audible into a play where they can find some holes and, and, and get guys in positions to, to do damage. And that's his forte. He's going to, he, he knows defenses like the back of his hand. He's going to do all those, all those intangible things to help his team win. And he's not going to make mistakes. And that's, that's what Jake Browning's always been about. He's not, you know, he's not going to be Jacob Eason, which is, a whole different. We can talk about Jacob Eason next year and talk about how he's the Matt Ryan clone and 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 how he's this you know the six six two hundred and forty pound gunslinger who's going to sit back there and just pick defenses apart. That's that's never been Jake Browning. And anyone any Washington fan that thought that's what Jake Browning was going to become 
is was diluted. So I, I don't know what to say on that score because I know there are Washington fans out there that have never been enamored with Jake Browning, but all he does is win. So I, I don't know what else to tell you on he that did, score, No, and, and I think the pro, if he was at Boise State with Chris Peterson, and he's just a super productive college quarterback, which is great. I mean, that yeah. works in college football. You don't have to be – um, you know, Justin Herbert and be like this NFL looking dude. Like you can certainly win in college football, but because they're, you know, playoff contending kind of team and he's up there with getting these awards that, that I think people take a lot of shots at it. We had a question last week where people were like thinking he's terrible. I'm like, look, we've never said he's terrible. It's just, he's not, you know, he's not projected to be like some super NFL arm, but everything he's done at Washington, I mean, winning games in college isn't easy. And he's been doing that in space. He's been doing that like crazy. Yeah, you mentioned Boise State. He is he is the Kellen Moore of the Pac-12, for yeah. better or for worse. And <laughs> but Kellen Moore won fifty games in college. Is that is there a problem with that? <laughs> I mean, that's, no. <laughs> that's that's the scary part. Is like, yes, he he's never going to be the prototypical guy. He just isn't. And you're right that that does come with some some uh, some criticism, for better or for worse. I don't understand. But then we can talk about a guy in Miles Gaskin who no one criticizes. Uh, if anything, he's extremely undervalued and underrated nationally. In, 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 maybe it's just because he's not the biggest guy. You know, he's 5'10", 195. But, you know, if he gets over 1,000 yards this year, Ryan, he's, he's going to be the only guy in conference history to run for four, four years straight of 1,000 yards or more. I mean, that's crazy. You talk about all the Heisman Trophy winners all the way back to, you know, to O.J. Simpson on. And Charles. I remember Charles White. I remember Ricky Bell. I remember Mark, uh, you know, um, Marcus Allen. I remember all those guys, even even the you know the Oregon guys. When you want to look at those guys, and nobody's run for a thousand yards in four straight years, and it's going to happen this year because Miles Gaskin will do it because he's because he's never been hurt. He's never he's never missed a game. Yeah, he just he just continues to produce and produce and produce. And I guess for some reason, because again, he's not NFL size because he doesn't flash those massive intangibles out there and 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 apparently doesn't doesn't uh doesn't produce with like the the splash and flash and and all the rest that i guess you need to be a, a top nfl talent that he's he's just extremely undervalued and it's really disappointing because he has a chance to obliterate some records this year so again you, you talk about those guys in terms of returning starters but i also think to be honest with you a couple of other uh, other undervalued guys I, I know trey adams is considered a top, top draft pick but there is questions about whether he's going to be able to come uh, back really early in the season um, Auburn's probably 50 50 right now for him but you look at Trey Adams on the left and you look at Caleb McGarry at right tackle I think that's as good a, a, a tackle duo anywhere in the country I think those guys are extremely extremely good they're extremely experienced veteran guys and then um, you know and then I think you look at Drew Sample at the tight end is extremely experienced as well Aaron Fuller's coming into his own at receiver and I think Ty Jones has a chance to to be a guy that could impact uh, the game is a true sophomore. And then defensively, obviously, you got Greg Gaines anchoring things in the middle. Uh, you know, and he's flanked by a couple other seniors and Jalen Johnson and and Shane Bowman. They moved Tevis Bartlett from the outside linebacker inside to help shore things up because they lost two draft uh, draft guys in Keyshawn Pieria and Azeem Victor last year. So they moved him in to partner with Ben Burkirvin. So you've got some, you've got a, a question mark there, and see who who's going to win that outside linebacker battle. But you know, you go all the way back to the secondary, and they're considered one of the top units in the country for a reason. I mean, they're just so stacked with talent. The irony is, Ryan, they they have two guys 
that are going to be their anchors at corner, and they both missed about a half season apiece in Jordan Miller and Byron Murphy. Um, Byron Murphy's getting All-American acclaim, all preseason, like All-American stuff. And, yeah. and Played six, he played six games last year. <laughs> that'll tell you. That'll tell you how impressive they think he he is, and and he is impressive. I mean, I remember we went to Rutgers last year to watch him play, and and he picked off two passes in his very very first college game. I mean, he was off. He was off like a shot, and then unfortunately got banged up in the middle of the year. Came back at the end, had a pick against Penn State. Um, he's just as good as they come, and then you fly, you, you you have those guys outside, but then you partner with uh, JoJo McIntosh and then Taylor Rapp, who's getting all the preseason All American acclaim as a true junior. And uh, you know you're talking about a guy who came into his own, won the the Pac-12 championship game MVP as a true freshman uh, back in 16, and uh, has basically just has not leveled off since. He's just continued to rise and and continue to do damage. So um, those are some of the guys in terms of the returning starters that are, that should be impact guys. And again, you know, it's hard not to gush about the defense because they've been so productive. Well, uh, I don't think there's going to be a lot of changes as far as scheme goes, even though there's been, you know, a couple of new coordinators. But do, do you feel like the scheme's going to be changed or updated at all or anything? Well, not in terms of personnel, but I, I do think – that, you know, again, Pete Kwiatkowski has done a nice job of kind of creating a scheme with that 3-4 look, but they also will run a lot of nickel and dime because they have the depth at, at, at defensive backs that they can do a lot of different things. And, and again, as you know, Ryan, being, you know, covering this, the Pac-12 as long as you have, you know, defensive coordinators are going to have to, they're, they're tested every week. I mean, you can go from from playing against an air raid style offense in Washington State to then all of a sudden you play a power spread run in like Arizona, for instance, or Oregon, and then the next week you're playing in a phone booth when you go down to Stanford. So it, you're 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 constantly um, you're constantly challenged, and so you have to kind of create a scheme that works in all weather and all conditions. And uh, they've been able to do a good job of that. So I, I don't know if the scheme's going to change so much, but again, with the depth in the secondary and the, and their use of the nickel and guys like Miles Bryant, Austin Joyner, Elijah Molden, all those kind of guys playing that nickel spot, I could see them running more of those guys in. Um, they'll blitz, they'll stay aggressive out of those looks. So they'll they'll bring they'll they'll bring defensive backs in a little closer to the line, and then they'll go crazy. They'll go after the quarterback a little bit. So um, so yeah, I could see that a little bit more maybe than they did last year, but. In terms of their base and in terms of, of the personnel that they're using, and whatnot, I, I don't expect a lot of changes, even even with Jimmy Lake running it, because you know he's been here a few years already and and he's completely wedded to the system and and understands how effective it can be. We actually one of the questions kind of went along these lines. We got uh, it's Dave from Dave from Sequium. I don't know. Is that S E Q U I M? No, 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 no. It's, it's Squim. It's Squim. Squim? And, and and give and, and give your give your boy Dave Woods some credit. He got it. He banged it right off the bat. It was, it's Squim. He got it. Dave from Squim. Okay, good job, Dave. Um yep. it's, that just looks weird. Uh so it was a super long question. I'm not gonna read the whole thing. He basically listed your entire the entire roster for Washington, but he wants to know, do you think they would line up and use a quarter lineup, quarters? So, you know, four defensive backs plus a nickelback, a dimeback, and a quarterback. Basically seven defensive backs. Do you think they'll do something like that? So like a 3-1-7 or a I don't know. four zero seven. <laughs> no, I, you know what? I, you know, well, I, I'm certainly not going to criticize it because it's possible. I think yeah, it's possible. And I think given – I mean, essentially it sounds like almost a pseudo-prevent-ish type. But yeah. 
and, and, and there's obviously going to be down and distance situations where you could probably throw uh, something like that out there, but certainly never as a base. I mean, that just that just doesn't I mean, I don't care if you're playing air raid or or playing a, a team that you think is going to throw it 70 times a game. I, I just don't see that happening as well. Um, so, it's yeah, it's po- certainly possible, but I, I would never, never in a million years think that that would ever become a base defense for Washington, not with the success that they've had running the odd front. Let's uh, talk about the schedule a little bit. Uh, skipping Arizona and USC, that's you know pretty favorable. I think two of the top three teams probably uh, in the Pac-12 South. The most important game, you know, obviously week one, the opener against Auburn. And the more I talk about, the more shows I do. People talk about that for the entire Pac-12, where this is a game that if Washington, if Washington goes out and wins, it kind of legitimizes the Pac-12. If they go out and lose, then it might be tough for whoever wins the Pac-12 to make it to the playoffs. So I don't know if, if there's this extra pressure on this game or if, if that's all anyone's talking about, but it seems like this is going to be one of the premier games in the whole college football season. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you've got six versus nine right now, and, and um, the last time Washington was a top-10 team and they faced a top-10 team right off the bat, I believe was back in like 71 or 72. I want to say, I, I think it was Gary Danielson's Purdue team that uh, was either seven or 10 and, and Washington played them and they played them in Seattle and they ended up tying seven to seven. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen in this particular game. Although I, I, I could see a very low scoring game. I, yeah. would, I, I don't see either team scoring more than like 20 points for instance, but um, yeah, it, it it's interesting. There's no doubt from a national perspective. I think this is the marker game for the Pac-12. I don't think I don't think it means much for the Pac-12. I don't think the West Coast is sitting here shaking in their boots, going, "If Washington doesn't win that game, we're screwed." I, I just don't get that sense. Um, and 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 conversely too, I think if Washington does lose the game, even if it's a hard-fought game, they could still find themselves back in the in the playoff. But they're going to have to run the table to do it. So it's not impossible, but it's pretty improbable. Um, but if they beat Auburn, but then let's say they lose on the road to Utah, all of a sudden I think that thing comes becomes way, way more harder because now the odds of them even getting into the Pac-12 title game start to start to decrease. Yeah. So, you know, so I so I think, you know, the Auburn game is very, very, very important for many reasons. But in terms of Washington, it being a marker for Washington's overall success in 2018, I don't think it's near as important as Utah or Oregon or UCLA or Stanford or even a trap game like a, like a California. You know, I mean, it just there's there's definitely so many other uh, games out there. And you're right. Washington does dodge a couple bullets by not playing USC in Arizona. Um, but they have they have some tough, tough games on their schedule. And I think rightly so people are looking at this and saying, well, if they don't beat Auburn, there's a chance that maybe they don't play another ranked team all season long. Yeah, it's possible. That's certainly possible. So in some ways, I, I get why it's so important. But in the other scheme of things, if they beat all the other teams in front of them after Auburn, they could get in the playoff. They showed that they could they could be a one loss team and still get in the playoff because they did it two years ago. Yeah, the uh, you mentioned the trap game. That's our next topic. And I was looking through at Cal Week Nine seems like the game to me. The one you mentioned. So um, you know you're talking Week Six at Oregon. I mean at UCLA. Then Week Seven at Oregon. So that's a tough two game stretch there. And you got Colorado, which you know probably not going to be that good. But you travel to California Week Nine the week before hosting Stanford. 
which will be somewhat of a revenge game on week 10. So you think Cal is that kind of classic trap game on the schedule? I think it could be. I, it's just, again, they don't have, they don't get their buy until the weekend of November 10th, which yeah. is after the Stanford game. So we, you know, they could be banged up heading to Cal, for instance. Um, you know, and again, we, you know, I just think that Justin Wilcox is, is taking the Chris Peter, uh, Peterson playbook and he's trying to emulate it. And, you know, they may not have the talent to stay with Washington eventually, but I, I think they're just, they're going to be up for that thing. And I think they, they know it. You know, they've got a quarterback in Ross Bowers who's from Bothell, Washington, which is a suburb of Seattle. So he's going to, you know, he's going to be flying for that game. Um, you know, it's hard not to, I don't want to say Oregon could be considered a trap game um, because obviously there's so much riding on it and Oregon's going to be a good team. I think regardless, I don't, I think the jury's out. I've seen I've seen national things that could consider Oregon to be overrated and underrated at the same time. I think there's that many question marks about the Ducks right now. But what I would say is is that in one of those scheduling quirks that Trojan fans would know so well, Washington has to go at UCLA and then they have to go at Oregon in back-to-back weeks, two away games, and Oregon happens to have a bye week before the Washington game. You know, <laughs> you thought the Pac-12 would be trying to help their their prize assets, nah. so they think it's you know. But no, nope, <laughs> no. Nope, here we go again with another scheduling snafu. So I wouldn't say Oregon's a trap game per se, but I think the odds of Washington losing at Oregon go up significantly because of the way the schedule was set up. And like I said, that's something that USC fans know all all about. Yeah, this is. I mean, clear the the number one team, the the favorite to make the playoffs in the Pac-12, and you you put them in that sort of a situation, and you know having a bye week and then two games in six days to end the season, like that's not really much of a bye week. It, it's not, it's not. You know, it's just not a great schedule, and I, I don't think like Alabama or Ohio State or you know that you would see that happen to them, uh, favorites in other conferences. Well, and plus, and plus. The Washington State game is in Pullman, and it happens to be the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> I, I just don't expect a lot. Of I, I don't want to play football the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's yeah. I just, but I just don't expect. I mean, we'll we'll do it because we have to, and and you know. But we would we would normally probably just drive over there and do all that stuff. Now you're talking about flying over, staying in Spokane, doing it. Just logistically putting it in that kind of situation is just nuts. Yeah. But again, this is when. The conference has to be a slave to, to to the TV deal with Fox and ESPN because Fox wants that wants that game and they want it in that slot and it's not not a twelve thirty slot or a one o'clock slot it'll be at a five thirty slot so it'll be at a night game and so there's a again these are these are all of the things that that people have been harping on in terms of the Pac twelve deal with the media entities that are kind of ruling the roost on the, on the TV deal. And this is, this is what we've uh, that's what we have to deal with. Well, let's go on to the next topic. Uh, potential impact freshmen. Are there any guys that kind of stood out to you during camp that you think, Hey, these guys can come in and really contribute right away. Well, if, if we're talking about redshirt freshmen as well as true freshmen, I think the biggest impact freshmen will be redshirt freshmen, walk on place kicker, Peyton Henry, um, you know, left footer, uh, was redshirted last year cause he wasn't quite ready. But as we know, you know, Washington was undefeated going into ASU last year and lost 20, uh, lost 13 to seven and they missed two field goals inside 25 yards. Um, kind of unconscionable, kind of not what you would expect a team trying to compete for a national championship to do. 
Um, I think at one point there were five of 12 in field goals. Wow. Again, not, not something you would expect out of a Chris Peterson team. So they've pinned a lot of their hopes on Peyton Henry to get the job done, and he's got a huge leg. I mean, he can he can clear 55 easy. Uh, it's just a matter of consistency, accuracy, all that stuff. But he's a confident kid. He attacks the ball. I mean, he just hits the living crap out of it. Um, just have to make sure that he can make them all. And 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 um, so that first time he lines up for a field goal in Atlanta is going to be really interesting. So I, I expect him to get the job done. He just he seems like he kind of has that demeanor and talking to the coaches that he just he's kind of a quiet, confident kid, and and that's kind of what you need in that spot. A guy that kind of has the cool head and doesn't get too rattled. So, um, but he's going to be a, a massive uh, impact freshman. Um, in terms of offense. You might see a couple guys like Alex Cook and Terrell Bynum at receiver. Those guys were both those guys both redshirted last year. Now you have three very very talented true freshman receivers in Austin Osborne, Marcus Spiker, Trey Lowe. All those guys they could impact a little bit. I don't know how quickly they will in the season. I mean, we saw it with Ty Jones last year, and and Ty Jones is going to be an impact true sophomore this year for sure. They're going to need him right away. But, uh, you know, he's 6'4", 210 pounds, and we thought, oh, okay, he's going to be one of those those great possession guys that's going to use his height and high point the ball and catch passes right away. He really didn't start catching balls until maybe week 9, week 10, and uh, and so it could take a while. It, it just could take a while for some of these true freshmen to, to figure it out and to, to get used to the speed of the game at the Pac-12 level and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think there's some guys there that could do do some some things defensively well actually i will say uh there's one more guy i think on on offense there's a redshirt freshman tight end named kate otten who i think is going to impress some guys down the road and again don't know how quickly he's going to get right off the mark but um i could see him doing some damage and maybe catching 15 to 20 balls um this year when it's all said and done which would be a nice which would be a nice year for him defensively you're looking at gosh i mean again you're looking at the secondary um, you're looking at those true freshmen, Kyler Gordon, Dominique Hampton, Julius Irvin. Those guys have really impressed during fall ball and have done a really, really nice job. Um, you know, they can play corner, they can play safety. Um, might even Julius Irvin has even done a little bit at nickel. So very versatile kids, very athletic. Um, I think they'll do damage initially on special teams. Not sure if they'll get into a position situation really early on, except for maybe into some some mop-up time. Other than that, the rest of the defense, Ryan, is pretty veteran. I don't see a lot of spots where maybe there'd be an impact freshman or so. Um, Ali Caho was a guy that if, if he had been able to make it up for fall camp, may have been a guy just based on his reputation and, and his athleticism and what we saw in film when he was at Reno. Could have maybe done some stuff outside, but you know, obviously he's at Alabama now, so it's a, it's kind of a moot point. Yeah. What about uh, position battles? Not just with the young guys, but anyone. Are there are there some pretty good ones going on, or have there been this fall? Well, the kicker battle was one that obviously started in spring, and it was it was Peyton Henry and, and a scholarship kicker from Olympia named Van Soderberg, and um, for some reason, Van he he has a strong leg, but he just does not look right physically. Is he, he, he just doesn't have the same leg and 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 has not been kicking with a lot of confidence. The kicks, the trajectory of the kicks has been a little lower. So I think I think it was one of those things where Peyton Henry just really kind of 
took over that position battle at the end of spring and just kind of kept going with it. Um, so that was one that was a big battle until maybe about a week or so ago. And, and then Peyton Henry really just kind of put it on lockdown. And, and that was, that was pretty much all she wrote there. Um, I would say offensively, you know, I think the receivers, you know, you, you probably the starting three right now would be Aaron Fuller and Andre Bocelli and Ty Jones, but there's so many guys behind them. I talked to Quentin Pounds, who's a veteran guy, junior, um, had a monster catch for a touchdown at Colorado last year and then kind of disappeared because he got hurt and was and was done for most of the year. But, you know, he's back. He thinks that he thinks that the the, offense, the the room, the receiver rooms legitimately nine deep, which wouldn't surprise me. But at the same time, I think maybe seven of them or six of them haven't really done anything. So it's all about potential with that room. Um, so there's a lot of battles there for playing time and to see who can make an impact and, uh, and, um, and, and help produce because they're going to need some production. I mean, you, you're missing Dante Pettis cause of graduation, you're missing Hunter Bryant cause he's, he's hurt for, you know, we don't know for how long, but by those, those two guys alone, you're talking about 35 to 40% in terms of total yards in pass catching last year. And you're talking to over 40% in terms of touchdowns. So that's a lot of production yeah. that this that this group is going to have to fill up. They've got the guys that can do it again. I think they've got some talented guys. Chico McClatcher coming back. I haven't talked about Chico, but Chico coming back from injury is huge. Again, you get Quentin Pounds coming back. He's a veteran presence. And then they've got some of these other guys, young guys coming through that, that need to make an impact right away. Um, I would say defensively, the first team's pretty set on the defensive line. I would say the biggest position battle right now would be for that one outside linebacker spot because Tevis Bartlett for his final year moved inside to pair up with Ben Burkirvan. So they have that outside linebacker spot kind of opposite Benning Potoai and Ryan Bowman. And those the two guys that are in there lined up for the most part and have been battling pretty hard all spring and fall are Miles Rice and Amandre Williams, both redshirt sophomores, um, both about 245 pounds or so. Um, good players, kind of get it done in a little different ways. Um, and then they also have a kid, a redshirt freshman, by the name of Joe Tryon, who's who's an absolute creature. I mean, he's a guy that wouldn't – you wouldn't blink an eye if he was at SC. He's 6'5", 6'6", 265, um, looks the part incredibly well. And uh, there's a chance he could play a little bit. I don't know how – how much right away and then going in the opposite direction they have a much smaller kid in ariel nada who's finally healthy another redshirt freshman who's only about 6'2, 215 220 but uh is super quick off the ball i mean really I mean, he'll blow right by you and so he's, he's kind of a, a tackle's worst nightmare um on that score so they they've got some guys in the loop and i think that position battle at the the one outside linebacker position is is going to be really really interesting to watch i also think the nickel battle is going to be really interesting to watch because you've got an incumbent guy in miles bryant who's who's so veteran has, has seen many things and and has a lot of experience but he's only five eight five nine, and you're and you've got guys like Austin Joyner behind him, who's a real thumper. He's also very experienced, and then you've got Elijah Molden, the true sophomore, who's just been tearing it up during spring and fall. I think in the spring, he got the award for the most interceptions during spring. They call it the Best Hands in the Room Award. So he had that. He took that away from Byron Murphy. So you, so that competition's been pretty fierce. And, and Elijah Molden, he I mean his dad, Alex, played at Oregon, was an NFL guy. He's got a great pedigree. So he's coming on strong. So I think that battle is still ongoing. Um, 
yeah, those are those are kind of the main those are kind of the main battles right now. All right, um, strengths of the team. I think we you know when you talk about record holders and record setters and and Browning and and Gaskin, you know them. The secondary certainly, uh, you know, four or five guys that are complete studs. What you know, maybe outside of those because we talked about them a little bit. Any other strength of the team? Would you say? Well, I would just say overall, Ryan. I think the strength of the team is in the first team, whether it's offense, defense. There's enough. I think there's, I think there's upwards of twelve to thirteen seniors that have starts in their belt that are that are going to be available for this team on both sides of the ball. That that compared to last year, even though I think last year, um, you know, they had at least a you know what they had end up having like six or seven draft picks. They they only had about four or five actual senior starters because there were other younger guys like Vita Vea and some of those guys that were that had eligibility left that decided to take off. Um, but this year they they're almost going to triple that. So this by far is the most experienced team that Chris Peterson has had uh, at Washington by far. And uh, so that experience should pay off. The, they love talking about their depth and they and they constantly are talking about building depth. But I think outside of that first team, obviously depth wise, there's going to be some holes, whether you're talking about the defensive line, whether you're talking about um, outside linebackers, whether you're talking about the offensive line, um, you're talking about tight end without Hunter Bryant there. Uh, and then obviously at receiver there, there's, you know, there's going to be some battles there, but I'd say overall, when you look at the first team, from top to bottom, offense, defense, special teams, um, they're really about as veteran as any as any team in the country. The uh, and then you know it seems pretty stacked just about everywhere. But would there be uh, an area of weakness somewhere uh, on the squad? Where, where would you say if, if you had to? Pick well, we something? talked we we talked about it in the in the place kicking in the in the special teams, sure. which is kind of ironic because you know Chris Peterson actually coaches up the the returners, <laughs> and you you know he takes a lot of pride in special teams. And for them to not have a, a quality scholarship kicker there, and you know, and I, and I'm and I don't want to rag on Van Soderberg because I, I do think there's something there's there's something off there's something he's not 100 percent he just can't be and I think if he was 100 percent that battle would be have been a lot more fierce, um, but when you don't have a, a healthy scholarship guy there, um, that kind of reflects on on the staff for for not being able to to address that and and it's also ironic that they they have already have a commitment from a kid in Honolulu named Timothy Horn who is going to be their place kicker in 2019 so by the time they have this this walk-on freshman Peyton Henry ready to go and 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 uh, flying they're going to have a real position battle next year because Timothy Horn's obviously going to want to come in and show what he can do and he's going to be on scholarship so by that time I wouldn't be surprised if Peyton Henry's also on scholarship um if you know cuz as we saw last year with ASU and and the Utah game uh, uh, kicks win games. They can also lose games. I mean, they're that critical, and that's why you know the classic Jim Mora kickers quote. You know, that's just <laughs> if they you know they, you, you pull you pull your hair out if you're a coach, and and the you know you 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 flog your guts out for a week trying to get your team prepared, and all of a sudden it's it's on the foot of a kicker to win or lose your game, and and that's football for you. But uh, you know, so I'd say that that would be the weakness of the team right now is just because there's so much unknown. And the, and then again, they're also trying to replace Dante Pettis, who set an NCAA record with nine career returns for punt returns. And so they've got Aaron Fuller there, they've got Chico McClatcher there, they've got Byron Murphy there. Um, you know, they got a ton of talent 
that can that can back that up. But you're never going to be able to replace that production because that's a once in a once in a generation type effort by by a guy like Pettis. So um, you know, so special teams is there. There are definitely some X factors and some unknowns there. Yeah, that that at game at Utah. You know, they always have good special teams there. So that could be if it's a close game, something like that could be a factor. So we'll see how. No uh, doubt. Washington teams uh, stack up. Well, we had and ironically. I was going to tell you, Ryan. You brought since you brought up Utah. Ironically enough, they, Washington finally came to the party like a lot of other teams in the Pac-12, and they got themselves an Australian punter. <laughs> so, so they so they got the rugby guy last year, and Joel Whitford. And I'm telling you, he he they, it's a legitimate weapon. Wow. If you guys haven't already figured it out, I mean, the way that they can rugby style and have those balls drop inside the five like like a sand wedge, it's unreal. And I saw it firsthand. I've seen it firsthand the last couple of years. And um, you know, when you're trying to play field position, and that's something that Chris Peterson loves to do. He loves to put it on the defense, and he loves to make sure that the offense doesn't doesn't make mistakes. And he he likes to try to win these games the traditional way. And he and he likes to make sure that that all three phases of the game get equal attention. Um, when it comes to special teams, that's a that's a really cool thing to have. And um, frankly, I'm surprised it took him that long to to, to go that route because uh, it it paid off a, a lot last year, and I think it's going to pay off even more this year. Yeah, those hidden yards. I'm all you know. I'm a big fan of watching special teams and. You know, when when you let a punt like bounce and, and roll 15 yards backwards, and you you could have t- picked it up and you know ran 15 yards forwards, like that's a it's like a 30 yard pass that you're you're missing out on. So certainly, if you can you can win those little battles on special teams, it can be significant. So we'll we'll have to watch what Washington does this year. Um, we had a few questions that were Absolutely. that came in. Uh, so Anthony wants to know. What do you think the floor and the ceiling is for the team you cover? So in this case would be Washington. <laughs> well, I've seen 0 and 12. Is that a big enough? Is that a good enough floor for you? I'm guessing this team's not capable of doing that outside yeah, I, of a bus crash or something, or you know, I don't know. Yeah, I kind of went through this exercise with Dave, and, and I I want to say I think the floor is six and six, and I know a lot that of people. Low? Will snick- I will. I well, a lot of people will snicker at that, but again. You're asking me for floor. I mean, we're we're talking about the bottom, right? Yeah. We're talking about the bottom. Well, okay. Let's say they lose at Auburn. That's one. They could easily lose at Utah. That's two. What if they lose to UCLA and Oregon? UCLA, UCLA right now is such an X fact. I just right. You don't know. Who knows? Who knows what UCLA is going to do? I, does anybody at this point? No, I don't. I'm not thinking they're going to be that good. But yeah, I, I'll give you but, that. There are enough athletes that could beat it, you, right? And, yeah. well, and it's at the Rose Bowl. Anything's possible. Washington's never had a great record playing UCLA there, so that's three losses. Oregon could be four, and that's that wouldn't surprise anybody, especially coming off back-to-back road wins and and Oregon having a bye week. So that's four. And then let's say they and then let's say they uh, they get they that that trap game at Cal. That, yeah, that's five. And then let's say they lose to Stanford. Sure. That's six. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's within the realm of possibility. It's not like it's hard but to I'm imagine saying, all those happening, but you could you could see each one of them individually. Yeah. Right. But that's but again, we're talking. The, sure. The, the question was floor, right? Yes. You're, no, you're exactly right. Yeah. So so if so if floor is six and six, then obviously the ceiling is is 12, 4, 13, 14 and 0, yeah. 15 and 0, whatever it is, was is, is winning winning it all. And so I think this well, and, and again, people are going to snicker and, and laugh at that or whatever. But if you look at a team that's getting a lot of praise about being in the final four in the playoffs, then how can you not say winning the whole thing isn't isn't within reason and isn't isn't is and it isn't reasonably their ceiling? Yeah. That has to be their ceiling. No, I agree. I agree with you there. I mean, people ask me for USC. I think yeah. I think 
I mean, they could, I, I would say 11 and one, you know, is like their, their uh, ceiling, but I was thinking seven and five is, is the floor, but yeah, maybe even a six and six. There's, there's well, ways I'm not that, that far off that. then. I'm not that far no, off. Yeah. I, I would say the so same. Bad. Yeah. I would say the same thing. So yeah, that, that completely makes sense. Um, and I think I know the answer to this one. Is there a game you're looking most forward to covering? I'm assuming it's the day after Thanksgiving Apple Cup, right? Like that would be the one you're looking most forward to? Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll still be in a tryptophan-induced haze, but I'll I'll be there. No, it's funny because David thought for sure it'd be it'd be the Auburn game. And of course, in being Atlanta, that would make total sense. I, I will say that I I'm so intrigued by how Washington responds by playing that second row game in a row against an Oregon team that's rested. Yeah. Um, and frankly, if Washington beats them, it creates its own kind of standard again because that'll be three in the row. And now Washington has a legitimate streak on their hands after losing 12 in a row to Oregon. But if Oregon can win this game, the next 364 days are going to be, uh, I mean, they're going to be so much fun. Because the the banter, but the final the, the the rivalry will finally be kind of back on. Because again, you're you're talking about an Oregon program that won 12 straight. Now Washington's won a couple. It doesn't feel like a true rivalry in the sense that they're 50-50 and in and one team's winning one game, the other team's win. It's not. It doesn't feel like. Let's say it doesn't feel like Ohio State, Michigan, or it doesn't feel like, um, you know, I don't know what else would be a good comparison. It doesn't. You know, most most of the most of the rivalries nowadays feel so one sided, whether it's SC UCLA or 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 maybe maybe it'd be more like uh, Arizona, Arizona State. I don't know. All right. Yeah. But but you know what I mean? It, it just they need they need to have that juice. They need to have that rivalry going forward to really take it to the next level and for the and for the country to really start to appreciate just how good that rivalry is, because when it's when the rivalry is on, I, I think it's one of the best of the country because it's just. The hatred is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it's just hilarious. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. No, that's a really good one. Um, I'm going to be looking forward to watching that. You, we should send Dave. Yeah. You get him a credential or something and have him go cover that game. Well, and, and like I said, I, well, we'll be in Atlanta. So there, there's no, no problem there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, and I told him where, where we're going to, we're going to have our show pregame at the beer garden, uh, kind of by the Centennial Park and all that stuff. And I would, he better be showing up. So I told him he needs to show up. So he'll be there for that. But uh, so don't get me wrong. I'm really looking forward to the Auburn game. This is going to be fun. Yeah. But if if the Oregon game can live up to something and and even let's say if Washington wins on a last second field goal or something like that, it still feels like, OK, this thing is on again because it's been so lopsided for so many years in both directions. It's it's you know, if if, if Washington blows them out again, I'm not saying it, of course, it's never going to be 70 to 21 again. But if if they blow them out by like three or four touchdowns, then it's just going to feel like another game on a schedule. And, and and if you're a Washington fan and an Oregon fan, you don't ever want to have the Washington Oregon game just be another game on the schedule. It's just it just should be too important for that. Yeah, it's like you guys. It's like you guys with Liberty Bell. It's just it shouldn't be that way. No, great, hundred percent. We'll see. Looking forward to some really good ones. Uh, I had a we got an email from Sean, who he's a USC fan, and he wanted to know. And we, you know, we didn't get this until this week, so we couldn't ask the other publishers. But I'll be able to ask you. USC this fall camp had a lot of dudes out for like minor injuries that were out for several practices and things like that. So he wanted to know when we did the next podcast of champions, if you could ask the other schools. Uh, you know, any idea how many players you had missing practices during camp? 
he just wanted to know if USC was being a little more cautious than than some of the teams out there. Well, I'll say from Washington's behalf. I mean, I think they they take the 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 things like concussions and all that stuff. They take that stuff super seriously. Um, a couple years ago, they had looked into the Vices helmets. I don't think Vices is the one that actually kind of pulled it away from Oregon and Washington because Oregon and Washington were both going to use them, and and they were specially designed and all that, but. Um, they wanted to make sure that they fit correctly. And that was kind of where, where it ended. I don't, I don't remember. I'm going to actually have to ask someone if, if there's an update on the vices helmets, but, um, you know, they take the, they take the injury stuff really, really seriously. And, and again, the only guy that we know that's out for sure, uh, for the Auburn game is Hunter Bryan. And, and Chris Peterson has been pretty clear about that for a while now. Uh, Trey Adams, the left tackle, I think is 50, 50, uh, outside of that, there might be one or two other guys that are probably doubtful for the game, but they're they're more depth guys. They're not. Uh, I think maybe Luke, I don't. You know, it's so hard to say. I just there's guys that have been a little banged up here and there, but it's so hard to know because they are so cautious. I mean, Greg Gaines is is not. He's been suited up, but he hasn't necessarily played a ton uh, this fall. But you know, it's something where those guys. You know, again, we we see them doing other things in their videos and stuff online, so it looks like. Are they really banged up? Are they so? It's hard to know unless you see them in a cast or or see them on crutches or you know what I mean. Unless there's some outward demonstrable signal that they're they're hurt and they're not playing, you just don't ever know. Gotcha. And Chris Peterson's injury pol- policy for years has been everybody is week to week unless I say that they're out, and then if I say that they're out, that means they're out for like a really long time or they're out the whole season. And Hunter Bryant kind of pushed his hand a little bit because he posted a, a picture of him in the in right before surgery on in his Instagram account, and that so that kind of Oops. made the rounds. And so <laughs> we had to ask Peterson about it, and Peterson was just like, "Okay, yeah, this is this is what's going on." And and so then we asked Pete what the conversation with him and Hunter was about, and he, you know when he saw the picture, and he was like, basically the conversation was like. Really? <laughs> He's just like, really, Hunter? Is that really? Is that is that is that how you're gonna do you know, this? If that, I get when coaches don't want to like reveal stuff, but if you're, you know, it's something very personal. You're getting surgery, and you know, if I was having surgery, I'd share it on my Instagram. You I know, mean, I don't, I don't have an issue if kids wants to do that. You know. Oh, I, 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 yeah. I think ultimately, when it comes down to it, I think he just those guys treat the whole injury thing with such secrecy because they do think it can legitimately offer a slight edge somehow, some way, maybe at the beginning of the game or the second series. What I think, I think the whole thing is so overblown. I always think that by the second or third series in the game, there's no more secrets. The wrinkles have been yeah. revealed. And if you're a coach that's, that's worth your salt and worth the money that you're getting paid and you, and, and you can't make the adjustments, then something's desperately wrong. Yeah. So, you know, I'm almost kind of, you know, when they, when they were talking about, you know, college football kind of almost going, to the NFL style injury updates and things like that. I mean, for betting or for whatever reasons, I'm kind of for it at this point because I just, I just think that if, if, if it's either complete secrecy or complete transparency, because you're never going to be able to straddle that middle line anymore. It just yeah. with social networking and everything else. It's just, I don't think it's feasible. Yeah. Okay. I got a few more for you. I'll let you go. DNC wrote in when you wake up in the morning, where do you head first fridge or shower? Thanks in advance. Go dogs. Wow, I didn't. I, I don't. I know. don't remember getting that one from David. 
I maybe he skipped that one. I don't know what you know why he asked that, or if there was some inside joke. But I thought I'd pose it to you. Well, considering I work at home, probably the fridge. Yeah, I'm going fridge. If I was, if I was, if you know, if I had to go to an office, it'd be the shower. But I, you know, I, I don't, I can stink in my own juices. I think at home, I don't. No one's, I'm not bothering anybody. So I'm, I guess I'm going to the fridge. Although, I'm, yeah, I don't know. I'm total fridge guy first. Yeah, I'll take my shower yeah. a little bit later on. But so. and and I don't, and I'm a Seattleite that doesn't drink coffee. So go figure. So it's not. I'm not going for the coffee pot either. So yeah, me too. I don't, I'm not a coffee drinker either, but I don't live in Seattle, so I'm not going to be excommunicated. But yeah, well, I, I, I that's why I, I, I don't divulge my, uh, I don't divulge my address. I, I try to stay incognito. <laughs> we have a uh, Pumpy from Maltby, Washington. He says, "Greetings, my friends call me Pumpy, and I'm a relatively new listener to the podcast, but I've already listened to your entire 2018 catalog." Well, thanks, Pumpy. I love to start my question with something fun. What is your favorite nacho topping? Ooh, do you, do you have a favorite nacho topping? Well, I was I was gonna say first of all, the Malpi Cafe is a plus, so he, he gets credit for that. Ooh, okay. Um, I have not eaten nachos in so long I couldn't even tell you. Uh, nacho topping. I, I let's put it this way: if I had an ideal type of nacho i think it would just be a bunch of tortilla chips with a bunch of shredded cheese that got grilled up and nice and crispy and then uh and then just maybe put some you know have some salsa and some sour cream maybe on the side or something like that with maybe some jalapenos on top I, right. super, super super basic i don't go for the loaded nachos yeah I, I, i'm basic they're kind of hard to eat sometimes i like nachos but i don't i'm not a huge fan like i don't like oh i need nachos or anything couldn't but. even tell you the last time i had them right yeah. honestly I'm, I'm being truthful. I, I nachos is not a go-to for me. Yeah. It's kind of messy to eat too. Um, and then has the Seattle real estate market reached its peak? Funny. I was talking to a really good friend of mine today at lunch and yeah, we think it's about that bubble's about to burst. There's a lot of real estate downtown with a lot of apartments and whatnot that are kind of being built for these, for, for the new it crowd coming through the Amazons uh -huh. and the, and the, and the whatchamacallits, all the, you know, all those guys. And, and yeah, I, I think it's going to, I think it's going to burst, especially downtown now in the suburbs and in, in maybe the surrounding neighborhoods, like where I live in Ballard, uh, may not, it may be a lot slower to come, but I think in downtown, I think it's going to be one of those where the, the, the atom bomb hits in the middle of downtown and kind of radiates out slowly, but surely. Yeah. I think it's coming soon though. I'd, I'd say probably within 10 years, the whole thing will have been completely blown up. Wow. Okay. So all you Californians just wait a few years before you move up to Seattle. Uh, then the, the, you can buy up all the real estate cheaper in a few years when the, when the bomb goes off, it'll be, um, a, it'll be a battle between you guys and the Chinese. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Under the important stuff, how much Liberty Liberty will new Washington offensive coordinator Bush Hamden have in implementing his own offense or does Washington essentially run Peterson's system regardless of who has the OC title? Many Husky fans, uh, the right of the job that Jonathan Smith did as the play caller last year, but I have a sneaking suspicion that we'll see much of the same in 2018. Keep rolling from Pumpy. Yeah, no, I think he's right. I think the latter part is is correct. He won't – Bush Hamden is not going to stroll in with a brand-new offense. I mean, this fall, watching them and whatnot, yeah, sure, they're, they're definitely going to have their wrinkles. Every every year, they, you know, every offense comes up with new wrinkles. Um, but this is Chris Peterson's offense. And – you know, where we will see the difference is maybe in some of the play calling, you know, does Bush Hamden take more shots? Does he run the ball more? Does he throw the ball more, generally speaking? I think we're going to we're going to see some more kind of 
10,000 foot questions answered than in terms of like real, real detailed, specific type stuff. Um, and, and also I think some of the rule changes are going to impact some of these things like the downfield blocking, for instance, I think that could have an impact on, on a team like Washington that does like to use some screen game and do some things. And, and so that, that'll affect, that'll affect how the offense looks maybe compared to how Jonathan Smith ran it. Um, but there's no doubt that when, when push comes to shove, this is all Chris Peterson. This is the offense that he devised at Boise State, and for better or for worse, they're rolling with it. I know that Peterson has always thrown his wrinkles in, and I think even for a time when they were at Boise, they even ran some pistol, uh, which turned out to be, I think, kind of a semi-failed experiment. So I don't, they haven't gone back to it. Um, <laughs> but that, And so that was right before Jonathan Smith took over. I think it was when Robert Prince was the offensive coordinator at Boise, if I remember correctly. But again, you know, Bush Hamden is a product of Chris Peterson. I mean, he's been there the whole way. I mean, he he was there in 2016 when they made their run. He knows what the offense is supposed to look like and how they're going to run it. He's still going to get input from all the guys. Now they're now they're different coaches the in terms of assistant coaches that are here in Seattle now that weren't there in 2016. I mean, you're talking about Matt Lubick who's running the receivers. You're talking about Scott Huff who's running the offensive line, but you've got Jordan Powpow who's still there. You've got Keith Bonafa coaching the running backs who's still there so there is a certain amount of continuity and then of course there's continuity at the continuity at the top with chris peterson so i just don't expect a, a huge deviation um, in terms of the kind of plays that they're going to run but again how they run them in combination you know what they're looking for and all that stuff th- that's going to be a big part of it and then the other f- part that you have to factor in is that regardless of what plays are called, Ryan, you've got to account for what Jake Browning sees and what he's going to stick with or what he's going to get them out of. And and he is going to have a ton of autonomy. So we, when we're talking about Jonathan Smith versus Bush Hamden, that's one thing. But we're also talking about Jake Browning almost being another coach on the field at this point. You know, fourth season as a starting quarterback, he knows that thing just as good as the coaches. And he's going to be like another coach out there in the field. So he's going to have a lot of autonomy to switch out of things and to audible and to check off and and to, and to find the hot reads and all that kind of stuff, probably even more than he did last year. And I think he had a lot of autonomy last year. All right. He's Chris Fetters doing a great job covering the Washington Huskies for dogman.com. Of course, that opener, uh, neutral site in Atlanta against Auburn. Everyone's going to be watching that. So Chris Thanks so much for taking out some time and, and doing this for a second time. You know, probably easier the second time through, but uh, thanks again for doing that. Of course. No problem. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Great stuff from uh, Chris Fetters talking about Washington. Now we got to go to the other side. We're going to go a little uh, east in the state of Washington talking about the Washington State Cougars. And we have Barry Bolton from Cougfan.com. You can follow on Twitter at Cougfan.com. Barry, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. Hey, uh, it's awesome. Uh, always, always fun talking to you. We want to talk about the Washington State Cougars and kind of give a preview. We've been doing this. You're our last preview, uh, so we've talked to all the you know the other publishers from the other sites, and we've kind of had this you know format that we've used. So we're going to stick with that and kind of talk about what's going on with the team. Um, so I guess first off, we want to talk about coaching changes and any sort of coaching changes that were going on. I guess there was almost a head coaching change, potentially Mike Leach going to Tennessee, but any, what's the stability been like in the coaching staff? 
Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, the big story was Leach almost going to Tennessee. Uh, but Washington State had a tremendous amount of assistant coaching moves as well. He had five coaches um, that have been replaced, uh, that have moved on, plus, obviously, the, the new 10th assistant coach. So Washington State has six assistant coaches that were not there last year. Uh, Tracy Clays is the new defensive coordinator. He's not going to coach a position. It's an interesting move. Uh, Clays is, is a real football guy. Um, and he's got a few guys that, that are new with him. And it seems as if everything that we've been able to, to tell, because we were really curious about this going in, what would the transition be like? And pretty much it sounds like it's been seamless. All the guys' meeting rooms, they're all pulling the rope the same way. You've got uh, Rush special teams coach Matt Brock, safeties coach Kendrick Shaver, cornerbacks coach Darcel McBath. On the offensive side, you've got offensive wide receivers, outside wide receivers coach, I should say, Steve Spurrier, Jr. He looks like he's really hit the ground running. Offensive line coach is Mason Miller, and he's, uh, his unit has, has been good, but uh, I think there's going to be a lot of work that needs to be done on the offensive line still. But Obviously, you've got six new guys in there. Uh, Clay's, I think, is going to be a real good addition. Uh, he looks like he's got things going in the right direction. There's still a lot of work to do, uh, but it looks like, uh, as far as the coaching changes go, things have been relatively seamless. Yeah, Clay's former head coach of Minnesota, right? That's correct, and he was a longtime defensive coordinator there before. And I think uh, as far as the, the head coaching job uh, goes, I, I think he's more comfortable being a defensive coordinator. There hasn't been any indication where you see a guy that's a, a former head coach and then he becomes a coordinator again. And maybe it's a little difficult not being in charge of everything. We, we've seen exactly the opposite. He's really taken to that defensive coordinator job. And at, at Washington State, the, the defensive coordinator really does get to run everything he wants. Mike Leach is pretty much focused on the offense. So he, yeah, Mike Leach is basically the offensive coordinator, right? Like he lists himself at that or? That is correct. Yeah. And one thing that, that Leach said, and, and I agree with, um, the position coaches on offense usually aren't uh, going to be uh, a tremendous big deal. There's not going to be a, bu a bunch of upkeep because Mike Leach's offense doesn't really change all that much. And so there, there's not going to be new things being taught uh, at outside wide receiver. There's not going to be a bunch of huge scheme changes, although there, there might be a little, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later on. All right. Uh, well, talk about coaches. Let's talk about some players. What's, uh, what's the situation as far as the number of returning starters and some of the key people coming back? Washington State has the fewest returning starters in the Pac-12, um, and it's even less than, than what the Pac-12 is advertising. Uh, Pac-12, in their perspective, says it's 10, four on offense, five on defense, one special teams. But that special teams, uh, the punter, Kyle Sweet, who is uh, an inside starting wide receiver, he served as the punter last year. He's not going to do that this year. So really, it's nine returning starters, four offense, five defense. So there's a lot that Washington State lost as far as going from last year to this year. And not just in the, the returning stars, but also in the two deeps. The good news is they've got a lot of speed uh, incoming in this recruiting class. I think you're going to see Washington State take full advantage of the new rule that allows 
freshmen or rookies with a redshirt season to play up to four games without losing that redshirt season. I think there's also some guys that are just going to go ahead and make it so that they're not going to, they're going to play more than four games. They're not going to redshirt. I think Washington state's got some good talent coming in there. Now that said, um, the, the lack of experience I think is certainly going to be uh, indicative and, and it's going to be something that Washington state's going to have to overcome if they're going to meet some expectations and most people aren't expecting them to get to a bowl game this year. And Washington State obviously wants to do that and more. So Washington State's going to have to have some guys grow up pretty quickly. The uh, you talked about you know the stability as far as the offense because it's it's running through you know Mike Leach. I don't think there's going to be any scheme changes there. But any overall you know with the number of coaches coming in and out, any scheme changes maybe on the defensive side or special teams. You, you'll definitely see some on the special teams. Um, I, I think. Washington State before had done a punting by committee. They had tried rugby style. They had your traditional kicker. They had a, a left-footed kicker. So they, they were trying to do a lot of different things on special teams. I think you're going to see one guy take that job, and I think it's going to be more traditional. On defense, Clays has said that he's not going to change a whole lot of things out there. Um, I think y- you might see some subtle changes that he hasn't talked about. He just doesn't want to. Uh, take them out yet and, and let people know about them. I think we'll see some of those. I think you're going to see Chloe's, um The one thing that he has talked about that he will do is the nickelback in Washington State's base defense. Um, Washington State runs a nickel, and they have two inside linebackers along with the four defensive backs. The nickel is going to be asked to do some man coverage, and that hasn't been the case uh, for the last three years under former uh, defensive coordinator Alex Grinch. I think you're going to see um, that come into play, especially in the red zone. Um, one of Clay's main things is he wants to improve two areas. He wants to improve the red zone defense and also third down defense. And so that'll, that'll come into play. But I think you're also going to see some other things. And, and we'll have to wait for the games to kick off before we see what maybe those subtle scheme changes are. There's not going to be a huge amount of change um, on defense. On offense, we talked about how, how you know, Leach's his offense really doesn't change. It does a little bit. And he tries, he introduces some tweaks in spring and in fall camp. And if he likes them going forward, he'll incorporate them. The shovel pass um, two or three years ago, as well as uh, running a diamond formation on the running backs. Those are things that, that he did tweak slightly. This year, he's toying with putting a fullback out there at times, primarily as a blocker. Now, if, if he likes that enough, are we going to see that? Maybe. Um, or is it just going to go away as, as fall camp closes up? Um, the guy that, that they're looking at is a third-year sophomore, and he's built like a dump truck in that role, five foot nine, 235 pounds, Clay Markoff. So we'll have to see if uh, on occasion, certainly not on, on every down, but on occasion – is Leach going to run a fullback out there and, and run him primarily as a blocker? Maybe. Um, you mentioned Alex Grinch. I mean, obviously that's a that's a huge loss there. And I think you know he was able to achieve uh, you know some really good success with some undersized players up front. I mean, do you think going forward is that something that's going to continue, or is it is the recruiting going to change? Um, I mean, it'd be great to have a couple more Hercules Mata Alphas out there. But how, how do you think that's going to adapt? That's a great question. Um, the indication so far 
are that Washington State is going to continue to sacrifice size in in favor of speed, um, not just up front, but but throughout the defense as well. Now, the the million dollar question is: Can Washington State win and and win impressively like they did in in some of these years past, and continue to do it on a consistent basis? By being undersized, will the speed be able to overcome those things? And you never know from one year to the next. But all indications are that Washington State is going to continue to to look that way. You're going to see 260, 270, 280-pounders on some of those defensive end, defensive tackle positions, along with the nose tackle on Washington State's three-man front, along with the rush linebacker off to the side. So I, I think that is going to continue. Now, Washington State only has four known uh, commits at this stage, and none of them are, are defensive linemen. So as we go throughout the year, we'll see if some of those defensive linemen are the, the bigger, more prototypical size guys, or if they're going to continue to be what Washington State has done in the recent past over these past three years, get a guy that has some room to grow but who has speed and is going to top out somewhere around that 280-pound range. Let's uh, switch to the schedule a little bit. Um, so the the out-of-conference schedule all early at Wyoming could be challenging. You know, San Jose State and then Eastern Washington or some history there. Uh, you know, bye week is week seven right in the middle, so that, that should be f- fairly helpful. What do you think overall of this uh, Washington sk- State schedule? Washington State's going to need to make some hay in that first half of the schedule. That's certainly easier half on paper, how it lines up. You've got Oregon State in there along with your non-con. And then you get into some more difficult games as, as the back half of that schedule goes. That said, Washington State certainly has a, a difficult game in, in week four at, uh, at USC. And USC is going to be certainly looking for some revenge on that. Um, but I, I think the schedule shapes up pretty well for Wazoo. Um, they, they also have some things they're going to need to be aware of. They can't just sh- think they're going to show up, uh, certainly in that non-conference schedule. I think San Jose State is probably the, the only game that you would point to and say you're super confident of, of coming out of a win. Wyoming, Eastern, uh, both of those could present some difficulties. Um, Washington State does miss UCLA this year, um, and, and that might be a curse, uh, frankly, if, if it's going to take a little while for Chip Kelly to, to get things going, um, a, as you might see down there. Um, so, But all in all, I think as far as uh, schedule strength, schedule, how it lays out, where the buy is, all of those things, um, I think you've got uh, certainly some, some things that you can work with there if you're Washington State and you've got such a young team and you can get through that non-conference schedule, um, hopefully 3-0. and And if you do, um, then things might coalesce a little bit. You might be able to get on a little bit of a roll um, because the back half of that, uh, that schedule with, with Oregon and Stanford, Arizona, Washington, and others, that's going to be difficult. It certainly will be. Um, is there... You know, I don't know if they look just looking over it. Is there a trap game you think on this schedule that maybe isn't the you know one of the more prominent names, but could be uh, could be a little trouble for the Cougs? I think it comes in the season opener. I think it's Wyoming. If you look at Mike Leach at Washington State, he is one in five in season openers. Uh, the bowl record 
is not that good as well. I think there's a reason for that. Um, I think if you, the one of the, the beauties of the air raid offense is that once you get into the season, a week is pretty hard to prepare for things. Um, it, it's just difficult. And that's one of the, the ways that an air raid offense is going to be able, the lows aren't going to be that low in an off year. Um, you're, you're going to be able to win some games simply because of that scheme that you run on offense. And you're going to be able to out-execute teams that don't have enough time to prepare. But if you look at the season opener where you've got all off-season and you look at the bowl game where you've got weeks to prepare, Washington State has trouble. And that's the time when teams can take more time and really drill down uh, defending the, the air raid offense. And Washington State is, you know, uh, certainly had difficulties. Wyoming's uh, a pretty good team. Some people are talking about them as possibly uh, challenging state for, for the MWC this year. Uh, they have nine, I think, returners on defense, and that defense was absolutely nails last year. And you've got a real smart coach there in Craig Bull. So I think I would not be surprised to, to hear Bull in the run-up to the game talking about how, you know, they've been working on Washington State, a period here, a period there during spring, uh, during fall camp. And I, I don't think that Washington State is going to be able to, to show them or surprise them uh, with, with a whole lot of things. They're going to have to out-execute them, and that's going to be difficult in that opening game. I think Washington State is really going to be challenged. Yeah, I agree. That's that that could be tough. I mean, we've seen Washington State lose at home to FCS schools <laughs> to open. You got to go on the road yeah. against the Mountain West. I mean, it's um, but you know maybe it's less of a trap because you you know it's a higher quality opponent. We'll see. But that's uh, that's important. Some some important Week One games in the Pac-12, and that would be one. Um, you know, you saw Washington State last year get off to what is a six and zero start. You know, when you get that first win out of the way. So if Mike Leach can get that first win out of the way, he does pretty well in the beginning of the season. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the problem in getting that first one. I think Eastern Washington, uh, you'd think that could be also a potential trap game. That's supposed to be a pretty good Eastern team. I'm sure they're going to be in the top 10 in the FCS rankings. I think the, the difference there is that Washington State will be playing them in week three. They're going to have two games under their belt. They're going to be able to look at a lot of tape on Eastern. They're not going to be surprised. If Eastern should come in and upset Washington State, they're, they're going to certainly earn it. What about uh, some potential impact freshmen? We've been talking even redshirt freshmen, people that didn't play last year. Um, any kind of impact guys you think uh, fans should watch out for? I think, like I said before, I think you're going to see a whole lot of guys play. But obviously, they're going to try to redshirt as many as they can. Um, some guys that, that you look at that probably aren't going to redshirt, uh, you'd have to say a couple of nickelbacks, Patrick Nunn and Halid Jabril. Uh, safety Tyrese Ross has looked uh, ready to go and that brings a, a lot of energy. And one of Washington State's uh, positions on defense that they've really needed a boost is at free safety. They have an upperclassman there, not an upperclassman, he's a third-year sophomore, but He's been able to hold it down so far, but I think Tyrese Ross is going to be banging on that door all year. On offense, you've got wide receiver Drew Jackson, uh, running back Max Borgi, wide receiver Roderick Fisher, another big, tall wide receiver, Cassie Woods. I think the biggest thing that you're going to see on offense is running back Max Borgi. Um, I I would be shocked, really, if he, he redshirted or just played in four games. 
I think you're going to see him be a true freshman and a uh, play uh, throughout the season. I think that um, what he's done in fall camp, he's one of those guys that, that plays bigger than his size in the sense that he's 5'10", 190 pounds, but he, he's kind of a pinball. Um, he's kind of like Miles Gaskin over at Washington. You hit him huh. and he doesn't go down. Um, he just keeps going. And so I think uh, running back Max Borgi, uh, he's, I, I don't know that he's going to be a starter. I think that's probably going to be James Williams. But I think you're going to see some significant contrib- contributions, uh, potential impact from from Max Borgi in particular on offense. Has Mike Leach made any indication of how he would utilize the new uh, redshirt rule. I, I think at Pac-12 Media Day, he was one of the guys that said he would just like five years of eligibility. I hope I'm not wrong on that, but has he indicated, you know, how he would use that? No, I think you're right. He he did say he'd prefer that it just be five years and, and they go from that point. He hasn't really answered uh, the question about, are you going to play guys? Because Leach is always about competition and he wants guys not to be comfortable, not to think that they've got something sewn up. Um, but I, I, I really think what you're going to see, except for maybe some of the offensive linemen that are undersized, I think you're going to see a lot of guys get a lot of play. Um, I think that that would be the case, even if, if Washington State had a tremendous amount of guys coming back. I think because you've got so few coming back, if you have injuries, uh, a run on injuries in one position, if the offensive line is not performing well. If you know the, the linebackers aren't getting it done for for a half, I think you'll see some guys come out there and and start the second half uh, potentially um, as kind of a kick in the pants. So I, I think that you're going to see Washington State take full advantage uh, of that new rule and play a whole lot of guys up to four games uh, before they lose a red shirt. I don't know that. Mike Leach's general rule is if a guy's in the two deeps, then he doesn't redshirt. I don't know that there's going to be a whole lot of guys that, that don't redshirt. It's going to be any more than it has been in the past under Mike Leach, although that number is pretty pretty high uh, in comparison to some other coaches. But I do think you're going to see a whole lot of guys play. Uh, let's talk about position battles. Uh, what have been the best ones that you've seen this fall? Well, the biggest one, obviously, is a quarterback yeah. where Washington State is is looking for a quarterback and none of the guys have taken a snap under center. I think the battle is is all but over. Uh, Mike Leach has not officially named his starter, um, and he might try to take that all the way up until kickoff. Um, but all indications are that Gardner Minshew is going to be the guy, and he's a senior transfer from East Carolina. Uh-huh. He's looked the most comfortable. He's looked uh, the most consistent. He also is uh, a, a whirling dervish of energy. They can get the offense hyped up and excited. He's definitely vocal. Um, he's definitely that uh, the guy who will take an offense and, and try to lead it and really, really put a vocal stamp on that out there on the field in ways that maybe some of the other guys aren't aren't quite as demonstrative. So I think I think that's pretty much decided. But obviously that's the main storyline. At offensive line, you've got a, a battle that, that might go on a little bit longer between at left guard between Josh Watson and Liam Ryan. Washington State is replacing three starters up front, and they didn't have a good year on the offensive line, quite frankly, uh, last year, and, and they, they've got some holes to fill there. Mike Leach feels pretty good about his first unit, he said, uh, throughout fall camp. 
but after you get past those five, um, there's a whole lot of inexperience and questions there. Wide receivers might be the best battle going um, just because you've got so many guys vying for those spots. Uh, Washington State has four wide receivers in their set. You've got Kyle Sweep and Renard Bell, who are probably the likely starters on the inside. Tay Martin and Desmond Atman, likely starters on the outside. But Leach uses an eight-man rotation, and there's probably 10 to 12 guys that are legitimately in the mix right now. I think uh, the uh, of all those guys, Sweep, Bell, Martin, and Patman, I think there's there's maybe only one of them in Tay Martin that, who's an absolute lock um, headed into the season and, you know, as, as the season goes on. If somebody doesn't perform at one of those wide receiver positions, I think you're going to see some, some definite machinations uh, from Leach because he has some significant talent waiting in the wings, especially on the inside. Guys like Jameer Calvin, Robert Lewis, who, who is coming back for a six-year but Tay Martin is a, a guy to watch. Tay Martin is potentially, um, as a second-year sophomore, going to be an honors candidate this year. He has had a tremendous fall camp, um, and he's he's playing with a whole lot of confidence now that you know maybe he didn't have as a true freshman last year. At free safety, uh, we talked a little bit about that before. Skyler Thomas, uh, third-year sophomore, looks like he's um, he might have that job, but. I think that's going to continue on, and I think that's going to continue on into the season. Uh, Tyrese Ross, like we, like I said, could make a move there. Uh, but at defensive end and the defensive line, um, you've got some questions because of injuries. Uh, Namde Aguayo, who was looked to be the sack master coming in, he's been out almost the entire fall camp. Uh, Washington State under Mike Leach does not talk about injuries, so uh, you, are just left with speculation as to what's wrong as well as how long somebody might be out. And so has defensive end rush Derek Moore. Uh, they also had a nose tackle this week, uh, who decided to leave the program. He was battling for the starter's job. He was probably the number two at that time, but that, that takes away the depth. Uh, I think you're going to see Will Rogers, the third, uh, in that defensive end role and he's played well. Um, but, uh, You've got, you've got some definite questions and some issues uh, coming with these p- position battles, and, and some of the best position battles are because of uh, circumstances that, that you might not enjoy. The, uh, you know, we already talked about there's just not a lot of returning starters back, but where would you say, uh, it doesn't have to be returners, it's where, you know, look at the positions that you, you feel pretty strongly about. Where are the strengths of this team right now? I think on, on offense, definitely at wide receivers. Um, you've got, uh, and it's strange because you've, you've lost two outside receivers from the previous year, but Washington state has an embarrassment of riches at wide receiver. Um, whether it's from a competition standpoint, you can just keep shuffling guys in and out of there. If you have a few injuries, you're going to be able to absorb those and not take too much of a hit. Uh, running back also, I think could be sneaky good. Because you've got Borgie, you've also got James Williams, who I think is uh, prime for a breakout year. And you've also got a guy that nobody's talking about, Keith Harrington, who could be one of those guys, especially in the receiving game, because Washington State does obviously utilize their running backs in the receiving game, who could be one of those guys that could come in and make the difference in, in one, two, or maybe even three games over the course of the year. He's not the starter, 
but he comes in at critical times, gets that crucial third down, gets that crucial go-ahead touchdown. Keith Harrington is is a guy that that I think is going to be a watch there. Um, and then uh, as far as the defense goes, obviously the linebackers. You've got uh, kind of the same situation as wide receivers. You've got Peyton Pillar, uh and Jayhod Woods, who are the two starting inside linebackers. And both those guys are can can play with anybody in the Pac-12. Behind them, you've got a couple of other guys, and Justice Rogers, as well as um, Dylan Sherman. And both those guys could rotate in easily. And I think Ken Wilson is going to do quite a bit of rotating because he's got the horses to do it. Um, last year, there was a, a run on injuries to linebackers, and it worked out pretty well for Washington State. And the guys that came in did not experience a whole lot of drop-offs, some of that to, to the fact that Washington State had a very good defensive front. Um, I think you're going to see the benefits of that this year. Uh, the secondary, I, I think that Washington State could be strong. Uh, you've got a cornerback in Sean Harper Jr. who is really making some some great plays this fall camp. You've got Darian Moulton, who uh, previously has been considered Washington State's best corner. You've got a safety uh, in uh... – whoops, did I lose you there? No, we're still here. Oh, hi. Um, you've got a safety in, in Jalen Thompson, who is a first-team All-Pac-12 caliber candidate, a guy that people are talking about is going to play in the NFL. I think you need two things to happen for that secondary to become a strength. One, there's a big gap between the ones and the twos. Uh, it's not as, as big a gap with the, the – or there's not as big a gap, I should say, with the Mike and Will linebackers. But you've got a gap, and you've got to have those guys perform. And the other thing is you've got um, a free safety position that has been an issue in spring ball, hasn't been as much of an issue in fall camp, but I think it's still something there that the teams are going to stress. And so that free safety has got to complete and not be a draft secondary as a whole, but help to make them a strength. And then uh, conversely, what about some weaknesses on the team where you think uh, an area the Cougs really need to improve? You know, the, the biggest thing they need to improve on is something they can't until they get in the games, and that's just simply inexperience. Um, you know, you've only got nine starters back. Uh, you look at Utah last year, I think Utah had 10 or 11 starters back, and, and it took Utah a little while to get going, and there were some games I think that Utah uh, lost that they probably should have or could have won. Um, that's just something that, that comes with playing the games. And so you've got a lot of an experience, not just in the starters, but also the guys that they're going to rotate in there. You have an unproven offensive line uh, also. Uh, the tackles are going to be pretty good. You've got Abraham Lucas at one side and Andre Dillon on the other. Abraham Lucas uh, has the potential to be really special. He's a second-year freshman, um, and, and nobody has, has challenged him a bit, and he's looked really good. Andre Dillard is a potential guy that could be playing on Sundays. Interior, you have more questions, both at the guards. Uh, and, and center needs to be a little bit better. Fred Goa, the, the starting center, he's, he's got experience, but he hasn't played up to his potential. He could be really, really good. There are times that he's shown that, and then there are times that you know he had some difficulties, especially out there last year in the, in the latter half. You've got to get that offensive line shorn up, and you also need to uh, stay healthy because the, the difference between the ones and the twos um, are, are pronounced on that offensive line, the inexperience factor goes way up. On special teams, um, you have a, a dilemma right now at kicker. Uh, the last scrimmage that they had, um, 
Washington State's kickers did not perform well. I think they, they made three of seven, and I think the longest was maybe 45 yards. I think if, if that continues, I don't think you're going to see Mike Leach um, call for the kicking team a lot. I think you're going to see Mike <laughs> Leach go for it on fourth and fourth and 14 from his yes, own 40. I love it. Um, but but uh, uh, they've got to get that special teams taken care of. The defensive line is interesting because the coaches, Clays as well as the position coach himself, have talked about how they're not concerned, and they think the defensive line is going to be pretty doggone good. Um, we're, we're going to have to see because the, the defensive line lost a whole lot from last year. Um, there, there's not a lot of proven experience that, that's replacing them, and now you've had some injuries and such. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be interesting to see, and I think the non-conference schedule is really going to be important for the defensive line. It's also going to be important for the quarterback um, because there's at least one or two people that I know that say, "Hey, practice is practice. When you get into games, then let's see what the quarterback does." And if the quarterback isn't performing, I, I don't think you're going to see Mike Leach uh, have have a very long leash. So. That non-conference schedule, always important for every team to, to get off to a good start, to iron out any final things. But I think particularly so in this year, uh, it'll be important for Washington State. And then also just seeing, the, as far as consistency goes, how the corners and safeties do. All right. Well, we got, we got a few questions from some of the uh, listeners. If you want to take a shot at some of these, Barry, that'd be cool. Um, sure. Yeah. Anthony wants to know, uh, what do you think the floor and the ceiling is this season for the Cougs? It's a good question. Um, I, I think, like I talked a little bit about before, the, the beauty of the air raid is that it does prop up the floor. You don't have a, a year where usually you're going to, in a down year, you're going to you know, really hit bottom. I think the floor for Washington State w- would probably be, I'm going to say, five wins. Um, you could probably make a case for four. As far as the ceiling goes, um, I think Washington State could, if everything goes right and they surprise a few people, and because they're playing a number of uh, inexperienced guys and youthful guys and true freshmen, if those guys just come out and, and play with their hair on fire and surprise some people, I think you could see Washington State get to eight to nine wins and continue this little streak that they're on where they've had either eight or nine wins the last last three years. I think that's going to be really tough. Uh, however, I think that you're looking, you know, you asked for a, a floor and a ceiling, but I, I think that maybe a, a sweet spot for Washington State, um, six or seven wins, given the, the few returning starters that they have, plus they're replacing their quarterback. Makes sense. And then is there a game you're looking forward to covering the most this year? Oh, boy. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I think just about every game you look at has uh, a lot of good storylines, um, a lot of good uh, interest factor for, for Washington State. I guess it would probably be the, maybe the USC or the Utah game. USC, um, just because Washington State's biggest win of the year uh, last year was against USC. And now they've got to go down and, and try to do it in, in L.A. And so I think there's going to be a lot of storylines there. I mean, uh, USC is also replacing their quarterback. So 
how will that all play out? Utah, I think, is just going to be incredibly interesting uh, because I, I think it's so important to the, to the year. If Washington State can get that Utah game and they win that, I think it becomes a lot easier to, to see Washington State getting to six wins, seven wins, getting bowl eligibility and keeping the, uh, the role going um, for the fourth straight year going to a bowl uh, as opposed to suddenly having a little bit of a setback and staying home for the holidays. Um, we had Sean right in. He's actually a USC fan, and USC had a lot of dudes that were out uh, with kind of minor injuries throughout fall camp. Significant amounts of guys. Um, you know, each week it just kind of switched around. He wanted me to ask some of the other publishers about the teams they cover if they saw that with their program too. I'm not sure. I don't think you get to know that much about injuries there, but is that is that something you could you could actually answer? Yeah, Washington State uh, doesn't release in injury information. They don't even acknowledge that yeah. Mike Leach does not acknowledge <laughs> that injuries exist. Um, and, and when he was asked about um, Namde Aguayo and Derek Woods, said they're doing exactly what we want them to do, and we expect them back soon. And that was about you know nine days ago, and and nothing has changed. So there there definitely have been some some injuries. Uh, at Washington State, I, I don't know if it's any more than normal, but it certainly it almost seems like maybe there have been a few. And so uh, Washington State's going to have to, um, you know, buck up and, and find some young guys and get some experience. And obviously that that'll help for the coming years with these young guys, maybe getting a, a few more turns than they did before. But this year, uh, you don't quite know what you're going to get in year one or, or year two from a second-year freshman and what have you. But, yeah, I, I think that the, maybe there have been maybe slightly more injuries than, than in past, but not, not a, uh, a catastrophic run. Okay. Uh, Nick wrote in. He said, first, I want to send my prayers to the family and loved ones of Tyler Holinsky. Such a terrible tragedy to lose a kid like that through suicide. Uh, thanks for that, Nick. Uh, his question who is a better interview in the country than Mike Leach? I don't know about you guys. I love his tangent stories, non-football talk, plus whatever you think of him. He is a winner everywhere he's went. Not saying he would fit like at USC or UCLA, but the man gets the job done uh, at tough places to recruit from. That's from Nick. I guess it's not really a question, but <laughs> would you agree well, with you that? Know, uh, first of all, that's, first of all that's, uh, that's, that's nice to hear about Tyler Olinsky. And obviously... This is something that the team is going to be dealing with throughout the season. And, you know, how, how do you deal with that? And how do you, uh, you know, overcome it and, and honor Tyler at the same time? And so that, that's a difficult situation that obviously Washington State's going to have to, you know, navigate and find themselves in, in uncharted waters, certainly for that. Uh, as far as his, uh, his comment on Leach, you know, um, if you ask Mike Leach a, a football question, um, chances are, you're not going to get gold. Um, you're going to get maybe some some boilerplate information. Although, although once in a while he'll he'll surprise you. But if you ask Mike Leach a tangent question, such as you know who would win a fight between a, a badger and a canoe, you know he'll go on for 25 minutes. So um, certainly, certainly Mike Leach um, can can answer those off-topic non-football questions with the best of them. And seems to have a, a pretty good time doing it. He does. He's one of my favorite people to talk to, especially at Pac-12 Media Day. Um, we got KC in Tacoma. He says, hey, guys, love the podcast. Keeps me awake 
for the long morning commutes up here in Washington most of the time. Some questions for when the Wazoo guy is on. So he's talking about you, Barry. It seems like the wide receiver crew may even perform better than last year. Uh, what are your thoughts about them through fall practice? I think he's absolutely right on the money. Um, like I said uh, before, Washington State has got 10 to 12 guys in that eight-man rotation. And usually you're going to have some starters that are, are pretty well solid and solidified in there. And, um, you know, they're going to keep the competition open and such. But you can, you can pretty much tell. I don't think that's the case this year. I think there's, there's only one guy, Tay Martin, who, who's an absolute lock uh, to start. I think if, if anybody falters in week one or week eight, um, they, they might find themselves uh, being replaced and, and another guy getting a lot more turns. Washington State really has a good wide receivers crew, very promising. And like I said, especially on the inside, um, you, you've got Sweet and Bell as your starters there, but, but Jameer Calvin is a guy who's very explosive, who can take it to the house pretty much every time he, he touches the ball. So I, I think that the wide receiver crew, if the offensive line can give the quarterback adequate time, and as long as the quarterback stays within the, the structure of the offense and, and makes good decisions, I think Washington State can put up a lot of yards through the air. Now, getting into the end zone is, is maybe a, a different deal, especially with an inexperienced crew. Um, Washington State faltered a bit last year. They dropped down to 30.8 points per game, if I remember correctly. The year before, it was at 38 so they need to be able to get enough points for all of those yards. But I, I do think that Washington State is going to rack up the yards through the air again this season. And then he held a, a second one. And being sca scarred from the Wolf and early Leach special teams debacles, uh, how <laughs> confident should we be in special teams this year? I think that's a work in progress. I think they're going to have to prove it when the games come on. I think when... Um, when uh, in, in return game, I think that Washington State is going to be better than they have before. They've got some some more explosive returners, and I think Matt Brock is shoring up some of those uh, schemes and, and has the Gunners doing the right thing and such. But as far as as uh, kicking goes, I think that's going to be a real adventure. Um, so special teams could be, you know, best case scenario, it, it could be a plus surprise. Worst case scenario, you could see some of the things that have plagued Washington State in recent years uh, continue again this year, and that that's that's not a good way to fly, especially when you've got an inexperienced crew and a whole bunch of good work that came before it can be undone with a bad special teams play. Washington State's going to have to guard against that. Uh, Casey in Tacoma, thanks for that. He also was complaining a little bit about the. Uh, the meow kind of sound we have when we play the Washington State drop. Um, like we said, it's not. he said it's because we have too many roars. It's not that. Um, someone created this for us, and it would take work to change it. I would change it, but I'm not going to do it. So if you want to do it, go ahead, KC, and send it to me. And we'll <laughs> But it's really just about us being lazy and not really you know, being the best audio engineers. But that was done for one of our listeners. We appreciate him sending it in. So. Um, we got two more. Well, sorry, I'll let you go. Uh, Andy. So, okay. Andy wrote in, it was, if it was a newspaper language, it would be like 40 inches. He wrote a lot. Um, and, he <laughs> said, and they, so he wrote a really long question. Then he said that ended up being a little more stream of conscious slash brain vomit than I meant it to. 
I'm basically asking if Mike Leach's air raid has any potential of consistently beating teams like Washington. And if not, does Washington State have the recruiting capacity to get good enough players for a traditional offense? Then he had a whole another second question that was like three pages long. And he said, F the Huskies, Andy. So, uh, Andy, we just read that one. We can't read everything there. So, Boy, that, That's a great question. Um, so far, Washington State and the Air Raid has not been good enough to beat the Huskies. And I think that's, that's one of the problems with the Air Raid is when you get those defensive linemen who can really flash and you can crush um, getting back to the quarterback with a three- or four-man front, that takes away a lot of those soft spots in the zone, a lot of those areas where Washington State needs to execute. If Washington State is not going to change their scheme, and they're going to under Mike Leach, then you have to be able to recruit the better athlete, and you have to be able to have those guys win those battles. So far, Washington State is not, um, but we'll see how things uh, uh, play out here in, in the coming years and in going up against uh, the better defenses in the conference. And then we had one last one. Um, there was some colorful language in this one, uh, but just, it's from Pac-Man. He wanted to know, did Washington State really downsize the stadium from 35,000 to about to less than 33? Um, and he wasn't a huge fan of that, but that's, that's Pac-Man kind of uh, summarized. They actually did do that. They, they took out some seating. Um, I, I think it's a, a, you know, on the plus side, it's, it's a more intermittent experience. You've got every seat kind of a good one. You've got the, the luxury suites and stuff that, 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 you know, took the place of and such. Uh, but at the same time, the, the attendance, uh, the capacity is far, far below what, what you'd expect. So, uh, city in, in the coming years and with a new AD on board, if Washington State's going to look to, to add some capacity to Martin Stadium and, and still retain some of its charms. Yeah, it's a cool place from the press box and everything. I like, do you, do you enjoy that experience? It seems like it's cool up there when I go. It it, it definitely is. It's it's good there. It's good, like I said, the luxury suites. Um, I, I think, you know, with the new ops building, uh, it looks great from, from an aerial perspective as well as just, you know, the, the ESPN cameras on it, Pac-12 network, everything. It, it looks good, um, but uh, certainly you'd, you'd like to see some more, fans there um but if you're going to build out those um those seats then then the fans have to come and, and do their part and so that's an open-ended question too that's something that i think it'll be interesting to see over the next couple of years with with a new athletic director if if they're going to to look at maybe doing that and try to increase some of the the tickets and, and revenue from that because that's certainly something that washington state is is trying to do in in fundraising and getting more uh more, more, more funds, more revenue. Everybody's trying to keep up with the Joneses and Washington state is certainly no different. Barry Bolton does an amazing job covering the Washington state Cougars at cougfan.com, cougfan.com. Follow him on Twitter at cougfan.com. Barry, Hey, thanks so much for coming on and finishing up our PAC 12 previews. I'm very excited for college football just around the corner. I'm sure you are too, but thank you so much again. All right, well, that's going to wrap up all of our previews from the Pac-12. We did it over the last six weeks. Uh, we had to 
come down the stretch without David Woods, uh, my partner, let us know. You know, tweet us. Was this the best podcast ever? Because it was only me and no David Woods. Just you know, let us know. Tweet us. Tell us. Let us know what's going on. But great stuff uh, from Chris and Barry. Uh, you guys should know a whole lot more about the Washington and Washington State schools at this point. This program. Now we just count down. I think this next week coming up. Uh, Dave and I will be back and we'll do a bunch of questions. I think we had a bunch of questions left over. We're not going to answer today because we don't have uh, David joining us, but we'll get to all that kind of stuff next week. And then it'll be our regular schedule. So post game, we're going to, you know, we'll do our picks. I guess we got to do our picks next week too, because it'll be the first week of games. We pick all the games against the spread. We keep track. So unlike other people who pick games and then just, you never hear from them again, we pick games and then we tell you if we were right or we were wrong. Um, I've beat, David the last couple of years, ever since we've been keeping score. So hopefully I can keep that going. But yeah, we'll, we'll do all our picks against the spread. Uh, we'll do our previews, uh, talk to some different guests and things like that. So some really exciting stuff coming on. You guys survived our whole off season with us talking about all kinds of things besides Pac-12 football. And we talked Pac-12 football too, but lots of other off topics. Now I think it's full bore uh, Pac-12 football going forward. And that, that opening weekend is going to be so good. Some really important matchups, none more important than what we talked about earlier, Washington and Auburn. So, but hope you guys enjoyed this series of previews. You can find them all on Pac12podcast.com if you missed any of the the other previews. But certainly, you know, go back during the season. Uh, you know, if you're if the team you're following is playing Oregon State, put that put that Oregon State one on and uh, listen to what Angie had to say or uh, whoever. You know, there's there's a lot of great information there from all the different guests we've had on previewing the Pac-12. So uh, so I'm Ryan Abraham signing off. No David Woods. He'll be back next week. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time.